I was going to start with trying to be funny and play a practical April Fool's joke and say something like, you know, this morning I'm only going to cover about 12 points on our scripture this morning, but then our students, they wouldn't think that that was a joke because I've done that before. Um, and so I, I figured I'd just stick with the, uh, the traditional three, uh, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 5. We're going to finish Acts chapter 5, and um, our students have been studying the book of Acts for several months now, and last week we found ourselves talking about the apostles in their second trial with the Sanhedrin after they had preached the gospel, were performing miracles, and we talked about at the very end of, of that, that Bible study we had um, Sunday night that our yeah, Sunday night, that um, there are different responses to the gospel. That when you present the gospel, when you live out the gospel, when, when, you're, when you're bold with the gospel, there's going to be different responses. We can't count on everyone just, you know, with open arms and, and, and glad hearts receiving the gospel as we would like them to. There's going to be uh, different, different reactions. So this morning, I just want to uh, prepare us with, with just three thoughts, three, three reactions that you might encounter with the gospel. And we see these reactions uh, displayed for us here in Acts chapter 5 in verses 33 through 42. So let's read God's word. When it, in Acts chapter 5 verse 33 it says, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. A Pharisee, and Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Not long ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his partisans were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. That man also perished, and all his partisans were scattered. And now I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. So they were persuaded by him, and they called in the apostles and had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would fill me with that boldness. God, I pray that, that you would cover me with your ability. That you would cover me with your grace. Lord, so that I may not say anything or do anything that would be a, a distraction to the gospel being communicated this morning. Lord, I pray for our hearts that we would be open to seeing something new from You, God. That we would be open to a fresh encounter from Your Word. Father, I pray that You would penetrate our hearts with 
the convicting power of the gospel, but also the saving power of the gospel, Lord. That, Lord, if there are people here who have rejected Christ in any way, have not given everything that they are to Christ, I pray, Lord, that You would convict them and bring them to repentance of their rejection and fill their life with Your love and Your grace and acceptance. Father, I pray that that You would be glorified, that You would be honored, and Father, that we would be blessed by the preaching of Your Word this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first reaction I want to share with you that we see in this Scripture is one of violent opposition. Look at verse 33. It says right there, When they heard this, they, the Sanhedrin, were enraged and wanted to kill them. To, to find out what was so outrageous, we need to look back just a few verses. Let's look at Acts 5, 27-32. And this is what they heard that was just so outrageous that they just wanted to kill the apostles. It says, after they brought them in and they had them stand before the Sanhedrin. Now, now mind you, the, the apostles had been arrested. Okay, They were preaching the resurrection of Christ. They were healing people. Signs and wonders were being done. Hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. I mean, it was a big deal. It wasn't just this small pocket of believers. It was catching like wildfire. And the Sanhedrin couldn't stand for it. So they arrested them. They brought them in. And, 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 and then overnight, an angel of the Lord appeared and, and brought the inmates out of jail and told them, go back into the temple and continue preaching everything about this life. And so that's where they found them the next morning. And they brought them in. And after they brought them in, they, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? They didn't ask, how'd you get out? They, that would have been my question. How'd you get out? We had guards. The doors were locked. They, how'd you get out? But no, they're not worried about what God is really doing in, in Jerusalem. They're not worried about the actual proof that God is giving them that Jesus is the Messiah, that the Holy Spirit has come in power. They just want to make sure that their agenda is being fulfilled. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? And look, you had filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers, which is the same God of their fathers, they couldn't see it, raised up Jesus whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree, God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so as is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Do you see what just happened? The very thing that the apostles had been ordered not to do was the very thing they had been arrested for, was preaching in the name of Jesus. And, and, and here they are on trial again, and that very thing that they were told not to do, the very thing they were arrested for, is the very thing they're doing to the people who arrested them. They're preaching the gospel. They said, we order you. And he said, we must obey God rather than men. 
They said, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And Peter said, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. They said, oh no. No, no, no. Don't blame us for this. We, we didn't kill him. Don't put his blood on us. And Peter said, it was you who had him murdered. They said, we're not guilty. Do you know who we are? We're the Sanhedrin. Peter said, God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to you, O Israel. So what did they want to do? They wanted to kill them. Of course. All of them. By now you should see a pattern forming within these Jewish leaders. They didn't like what Jesus was teaching and doing, so eventually, after about three years of scheming and plotting, they finally nailed Him to a tree. They thought, there, that's that. We finally got that taken care of. But what they didn't realize is that was only the beginning, for the Bible reveals that Jesus rose from the grave three days later and appeared to hundreds of people over a 40-day period and then left this earth to go sit on His earthly throne and He brought the Holy Spirit in power upon the believers. And now, even with Jesus gone, the Sanhedrin still can't get a rap on this thing. Because His followers won't be quiet about it. So they arrest them, even though they can't find any legitimate charge against them, other than they were not listening to the instructions they were given. And all they can do, all they can say, is don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. But the apostles are relentless in their proclamation of the Gospel. And thousands and thousands of people are coming to believe in Christ and joining the church. And miracles are being performed. And Christianity was quickly becoming the most popular thing in Jerusalem. It's what everybody was talking about. And the establishment of Jewish tradition, they're getting tired of it. So they arrest the apostles. And an angel, who, the, who many in the Sanhedrin didn't even believe in, comes and breaks them out of jail. And so the only logical thing to do to get this thing to, to, be, to be silent, I mean, we killed the leader and that didn't stop it. We arrested them and told them to stop and that didn't stop it. So what are we going to do? Well, the only option left is to kill them. And that's where they've arrived. They, they've come to a violently oppositional position against the gospel. It's ridiculous, isn't it? That the truth of who Jesus is is being displayed all over Jerusalem in the signs and wonders, and they can't see it. And all they want to do is kill it. But that's what happens whenever the wicked are encountered, are encountered with the righteous. Look at what Psalm 37, 12 says. It says, A wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. You know what that looks like today? You see this happening when a righteous person says something or does something and it causes a reaction in the wicked that looks like resentment and bitterness and hatred and maliciousness and gossip. The wicked will respond to the actions and the words of the righteous by, by saying things like, can you believe how high and mighty so-and-so thinks he is? Or, oh, I just can't stand that guy. Or, he just thinks he's better than everybody. When in reality, all the righteous are doing is being bold and taking a stand and they're not compromising on the truth. And that's hard for some people to, to, to stomach. Because it causes them to come face to face with their lack of boldness. With their lack of uncompromising uh, devout, uh, devotion to the truth. And it causes a reaction. And we should expect that reaction. 
But see, the unfortunate thing is that many Christians don't have to go far to find that opposition. They've just got to come to church on Sundays. Guys, this is why we are told we are called to love one another just as Christ also loved the church. Christ corrects His church, absolutely. When we step out of line, I believe we go through times of disciplining and correction. But you know what Christ never does? Christ never demeans His church. Christ never, never lashes out at His church. Christ never puts His church down and makes her feel worthless and, and, and unworthy of love. He shows grace and compassion in His correction. The unfortunate thing is that we have a long way to go, myself included, because I get hot-headed and I like to spout off at the mouth and I'm just thankful that, that God is gracious and patient. But you see, that's okay. I want to tell you that it's okay when you find that violent opposition to you proclaiming the gospel. Because you see, one of the evidences that we are correctly following Jesus is that we have the experience of being persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12, it says it clearly that all who will live godly in this world will suffer. So my question, have you suffered lately for Christ? The second response that we see in this passage of Scripture comes from a man named Gamaliel, and it's one of indifference. When you're preaching and proclaiming the gospel, when you're sharing Christ, you'll have those who are violently oppositional, but you're also going to have those who are just completely indifferent. Look at what Gamaliel said. Verse 34, the Bible reports that a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. And then he said, men of Israel, now be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Let me introduce you to the very first fence rider. His name is Gamaliel. First, if I'm going to introduce Gamaliel to you, I want to say if he was here today and, and, and he was with us, we would get to know him for a little while and we would say, now he is the man. He knows his stuff. He, he, man, he's got it all together. And in fact, he was so respected that in his day he was given the title of a rabbi. Or, I don't know, it's Rabban or Rabbin. But it's not like Rabbi. See, see, Rabbi was a name that a lot of teachers had. Rabbin was a name that only seven of the most eminent preachers or teachers in all of Jerusalem or Israel was given. He was the grandson of, of, of Hillel or Hillel. He, he, he was a big, big, big deal. But he was... He was he was such a big deal that he was given this title. And, and, and so he was kind of a man among boys in the Sanhedrin as far as doctrine and theology goes. You guys have heard preachers talk about how wise and well-trained and educated the Apostle Paul was in the Jewish tradition. Well, Paul said at the, the feet of Gamaliel. We, we learn that later in Acts. So Gamaliel was the first teacher of Christianity's greatest theologian. So that gives you a little perspective on who Gamaliel is, is this, this, this well-respected man. And, 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 and what we have to understand is that he was a Pharisee. And so let me just break that down for you a little bit. See, the Sadducees controlled the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees were the guys who had the political ties with Rome, and, and they, they, they uh, shared the, 
the pleasure or the perks of what, what Rome could give them as far as political power and influence and financial perks. And, and, and see, the, the, the Jew or the Pharisees, however, while the Sadducees were, were tied to the hearts of the Romans, the Pharisees were tied to the hearts of the people. The Sadducees were political collaborationists with Rome, while the, the, the Pharisees were purists, and they believed in the absolute sovereign uh, nation of Israel apart from any other occupation uh, from any other country. The Sadducees were also more theologically liberal, and, and, and they were concerned with more social concerns and economic prosperity of Israel. The Pharisees were more theologically devout to the Old Testament teaching. The Pharisees were the people's groups, whereas the Sadducees were Rome's group. And the odd thing is, is that while it was controlled by the, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, we know this, that the, the Sanhedrin did uh, have Pharisees in it. And one of those Pharisees is Gamaliel. And apparently, Gamaliel was not only respected among the, the, the people, but he was well respected in the Sanhedrin. Because you got to see the picture here. They've got these... These apostles on trial, these apostles are basically saying, you killed the Son of God. And so the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, they're outraged. They're, they're, they're almost at a riot point right now where they're ready to, to take them out and kill them right now. And Gamaliel stands up and he says, wait, everybody, just calm down. And everybody looks and says, oh, he's talking. Let's see what he has to say. So he had the command of the floor. He was a well-respected man. He says, send these guys out for a little bit. Let's talk about this. He says, you need to be careful. You know, remember, you're getting all outraged and, 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 and getting caught up in the moment and everything. It kind of is what started this whole mess with the Jesus movement, isn't it? So let's just take a step back here and let's try to be a little more reason, you know, reasonable and logical in what we're going to do with these men. So he has them taken out. And this is what he says. And let me, let me say, I'm pretty sure that since he was such a well-respected man, that Gamaliel was probably uh, pretty sound in the advice that he gave people. I mean, you just don't get there without being a pretty sound you know, theologian, sage, wisdom type of guy. But I want to I want to tell you, and I hope that you'll stick with me here. What he tells these guys is really just kind of dumb. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of draw that out, but but I want to say this. I'm really glad God uses the dumb things we say for his glory. This is what he said. He says, guys, listen, you remember that Thaddeus guy? Well Thaddeus he rose up. He had like 400 people and they were all rebelling and, and they, they were causing the trouble and everything, but he died. Nothing came of that. All of his people, they, they ran and scattered. He died. And then you remember that Judas, the Galilean, during the time of the census? He, he, you know, he had an uprising against, against Rome and against the Sadducees' association with Rome. They wanted us to be completely separated. This is where the, the zealots that we read about in the New Testament came from was was uh, Judas the Galileans movement. He says, you know, that really didn't come to nothing. That, that really didn't amount to anything. He died, and he's gone. So this is what we ought to do. Let's just wait and see. Because you, you see, Gamaliel was telling these people, let's just wait and see, because Jesus is dead. It may just take a little longer for all these people to just go find something else to get fanatical about. 
Let's just wait and see. Can you see why that's kind of dumb? It wasn't just a, a few hundred men by this point. It was thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem being saved. And he's saying, let's wait and see. Here's another problem with his logic. According to his logic, whatever is successful in this world is of God. And whatever fails in this world is not of God. So let's just wait and see. Let's just wait it out. Now we know in the ultimate sense that he was absolutely right. That in the ultimate sense, when Christ returns and this world is judged, that which remains is from God, and that which is judged and done away with will not be of God. We know that. But in the practical sense of figuring out, okay, these guys are making these claims about Jesus as the Messiah. They're putting us on trial every time we try to put them on trial. Well, let's just wait and see. Okay. Let me put it this way. According to his logic, the hundreds of millions of Muslims, the hundreds of millions of Buddhists, the hundreds of millions of Hindus that we have in this world have, have, they have passed the test of time as far as we can tell. Those religions have continued to grow. Those movements have continued to be successful according to our standards. So according to Gamaliel's wise advice, we'd have to say, well, those are from God. We've waited. We've seen. It's still around. It must be from God. Now do you see the problem? Let me take it one step further. According to his advice, divorce and the porn industry are, have to be from God because they're wildly successful. They're standing the test of time. We know that's not true. If Galileo was half as smart as he thought he was and, and half as smart as everybody else thought he was, this is what he would have said. He would have had the apostles taken out. He would have said, okay, guys, this is what we need to do. We can't deny the miracles. They're there. We cannot deny that those men were in jail last night and this morning they were in the temple and we don't know how they got there. We can't deny that. We cannot ignore that every sick person who comes into Jerusalem is healed. We can't explain that. So this is what we ought to do. Let's crack open our Old Testament Scriptures. Let's re-examine what the prophets proclaimed that the Christ would be. And let's be objective and pray for wisdom and get humble and find out if these men really are speaking the truth about Jesus. Let's not wait and see. Let's figure it out now. They had plenty of Scripture. They had plenty of history. They had plenty of evidence before them to be able to make that decision. Again, let's just wait and see. What's that big of a I said that he was the first fence rider, and I, I hope that you see that now. Is that Gamaliel was the first century live and let live philosopher. Live and let live. Don't get, don't get all worked up out of bent out of shape with this, these guys. It's not that big of a deal. We have a lot of those folks hanging around the church, don't we? I'm going to believe what I believe. You believe what you believe, and that's fine. Let's just not disagree. Let's not worry about it. Let's just wait and see who's right. Let's just wait and see who's right. 
Gamaliel would look like a lot of our modern day church members. He'd look like a, uh, the church members whose lives are more in line with the popular philosophies and the, 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 the theological fads that come in and out of our society every day. Just whatever, whatever sounds good, whatever's the path of least resistance, whatever raises the least amount of eyebrows, let's just go with that. Let's just not get in a fuss about it. He would look like a lot of non-committal people who don't think about God's will and doesn't examine the, the Word of God but maybe an hour on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday. He'd look like so many church members who are respected and admired not for the way they're following Jesus, but for what they've achieved in the business world. What they've achieved on a field or in a court. What they've achieved um, on a stage. But in the end, when they're faced before Christ, they'll find out that all those accomplishments profited them nothing. Gamaliel would look like so many of us here today, nice and neat, respectable on the outside, but uncommitted to Christ, therefore lost and bound for Him. Just hoping that in time, everything's going to be okay without us having to make a decision. The third response that we see to the Gospel is one of joyful obedience. So we have that violent opposition. Let's kill them. Let's, talk, let's, let's try to ruin their reputation and in, indifference. Let's just wait and see. Whatever will be, will be God's will. We ought not really get involved. We don't really need to make a decision. Let's just hope that it all works out. And then there's the appropriate one. This is the call here, guys. This is, this is the invitation part. To open up your hearts and to say, God, have I been violently oppositional to the gospel? Have I, have I, been, have I been found fighting against God because I've, I've been fighting against these other people who are out here telling me that I need a greater level of commitment and I say, who are you to judge me? Am I indifferent? Have I been indifferent to the gospel? Have I not been passionate about the call to make disciples? Have I not been passionate about having a relationship with you? Am I indifferent to the gospel? Am I just sitting here hoping that I'm good enough? Hoping that I'm doing enough without having to make a commitment one way or the other? Have you responded to the, the gospel with joyful obedience? Look at verse 40. After they called the apostles, they had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. They went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You might be saying... Well, where's the joy in being flogged and beaten and persecuted? How could they rejoice in that? Friends, that is the remarkable thing about the gospel. Listen to this. In a full, fully biblical presentation of the gospel, you will be confronted with your sin. First and foremost, your sin. And let me distinguish something. Stick with me. You will be confronted with your sin. Not your sins. Your sin that you will be confronted with will be your sin of rejecting Christ. That's, that's supreme. In a fully 
biblical presentation of the gospel, you will have to deal with the fact that if you have not fully committed to Christ, you are fully in rebellion to Christ. There is no in-between. There is no indifference. There is, there, there's nothing but full commitment or no commitment. Because He fully died for your sins. And He fully rose from the grave to give you victory. And He fully accepts you on the basis of faith and repentance. Until we repent of that sin, the sin of rejecting Christ, of not completely surrendering to Christ everything we are, everything we have, and everything we hope for the future, then our lust problem will remain. Our drinking and drugging problem will remain. Our anger problem will remain. Our gossip problem will remain. Our marriage problem will remain. Our selfish problem will remain. Until we repent of rejecting Christ as complete sovereign and complete Lord over our lives, we're going to find a really hard battle with trying to deal with all these sins that we need to repent of. Because our only response to those sins without the saving grace of Jesus Christ is not one of repentance. We must repent of rejecting Christ and His call on our lives. Once you repent of your outright rebellion against the Lord and, uh, and Savior of your life, then, then, then you'll find that a, a, a curious thing happens. When you start to follow Jesus and when you start to dig into the Word of God and when you become connected to a body of believers and you start to, to, to change the trajectory of your life from self-seeking to, to God-serving and to God-pleasing and to people-serving and, and, and to pouring out sacrificially all that you are on, on, on the, the sake of the Gospel, you're going to find something. All the other things that you keep so focused on with your sins that you're so ashamed of and you struggle against, God is going to work out your salvation. He's going to, be, to perfect the work that He began in you when you stopped rebelling against Christ. You seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things are going to fall into place. But I want, I want to give you both sides of the coin this morning. When the apostles were beaten for preaching the gospel, they rejoiced because the wounds they now have made them look more like Jesus. That's why they rejoiced. They didn't rejoice because their backs hurt. That's insanity. They didn't rejoice because they were probably going to have permanent scars. They rejoiced because Christ was beaten for them. And He bore the scars of the crucifixion and they were found worthy in their service to God to be identified with Him and His suffering. That their scars made them look more like their Savior. Jesus said, count the cost. If you want to follow Him, then that means you'll end up looking more like Him. You'll end up feeling the things that He felt. And you'll, you'll experience some of the things that He experienced. Church, this morning the call of salvation is this. To accept a life 
of self-denial. He said, if anyone should come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To completely surrender to Christ. To stop dodging. To stop justifying why you haven't been baptized. Why you haven't committed to a church. Why you don't show grace and love and mercy and self-control. And stop dodging and justifying why your sins are okay because they look like everybody else's sins. Fully surrender, commit to Christ. The call of salvation is also this. It's, it's self-denial. It's, it's complete surrender. But it's, it's a blessed life. It's a life of peace. It's a life of love. It's a life of connection with your Creator. It, 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 it's, it's a life of unity with your Heavenly Father. And it's a complete life of hope in Jesus Christ. You're invited to come and receive that life this morning. You're invited to not respond to the Gospel in violent opposition. You're you're invited, probably more relevantly here in this place, to not respond to this Gospel invitation with indifference. But to examine your life against the Scriptures. To examine it whenever Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? To stop being indifferent and to fully and completely surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We're going to have an invitation and this is your time to do that. Curtis would come and uh, Shannon, I think, would come and play the piano for us and you would stand and Brother Ronnie's going to come down forward and, and this is your time to accept the gospel in joyful obedience. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray Lord, that Your will would be done. God, I thank You for the beauty of the Gospel and I pray that that Your Spirit would work and Lord, You would bring the results from this place that You desire and Your perfect, glorious, sovereign will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.